everybody welcome to another episode of our mainline podcast today i am joined by john again from the defense bulletin also the expeditionary intelligence group and we will be also joined by cassis belly cassis is a french intelligence analyst that focuses mainly on africa and the former soviet union you could take a look at his work on twitter uh, he's a very smart guy definitely knows what he's talking about so we're bringing him on today to talk about the situation in niger as you probably know by now there was a military coup there a few weeks ago and uh, it's caused this situation in the wider west africa region uh, which can potentially turn into an armed conflict in the near future. So we have Cassis here to basically explain to us what happened with this coup and some of the regional implications. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. This was actually a lot of fun for me. I know John and Xpen had a good time as well. Um, again, Cassis is a smart dude. He really knows his stuff and it was good to talk to him and, and get an opinion from somebody that covers this stuff regularly. Now, before we get started, check out the Legal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bolton from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate, or you could buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. Any support you guys give us uh, really helps out a lot, and we very much appreciate it. That being said, we'll head into the episode. Okay, I'm here with John from the Defense Bulletin, the Expeditionary Intelligence Group, and we're joined by Cassis Belly. How's it going, gentlemen? Great to be here. Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you for inviting me tonight. Uh, I mean, tonight here in France. But uh, yeah, I'm doing good. And you? I'm good. Yeah, thank you for being here. I'm really glad we could get you on. Expen, how's it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Good, good. So today we're going to be talking about this uh, military coup that happened in Niger within the past few weeks and uh, basically some regional implications that it may have. And we have Cassis on because he's been looking at this situation and he's probably been my best source for what's going on over there. So we have him on to kind of explain what's going on and ask him a few questions and things like that. So I guess we could get started with um how and why this coup happened in the first place obviously this is a, a regional trend it seems like um so uh to talk about the coup that happened in, in niger um it happened on uh, 26 july um nobody really paid attention at first because uh i mean usually nobody really pay attention in what's happening in africa anyway but uh during the first hours it was very uh confused like we just knew that uh some military guys came early in the morning and tried to uh, block the presidential building and uh and it was very uh very weird at first like it stayed like this for 
hours and nobody really know what what has what was happening and then after a few hours i think it was like uh 10 a.m local time uh we had some people starting talking about it and saying that uh, maybe a coup was happening there and uh so later in the day we learned that um it was a coup led by uh, the uh, presidential guard and um so they went to the presidential building and they basically arrested the prime minister and uh, the president uh president bazoum and uh, they basically uh, just tried to take the power. Um, during the first hours, it was very, very confusing, very messy. Um, I think the most important is uh, to note that not all the army was, uh, I mean, not all the uh, Niger army agreed with the coup because uh, it was very, uh, it was led by a very small team in the, um, presidential guard and they finally agreed with uh with the rest of army and police etc uh to uh to make the coup and and just throw away uh president bazoum so this is how all of it started and uh i think i think nobody really have seen this uh coming uh especially in france i don't know about the us but so far from my understanding, nobody really was uh, aware of the situation, but um, it really came very quickly and it wasn't supported by uh, a lot of people at first. Maybe now it evolved a bit since they are in, uh, in power for a few weeks now, but this is how it started. And um, I mean, this situation is not yet solved today. so. I think we will still uh, have to follow the events. So it's interesting you point out that this was started by the presidential guard, right? Because obviously their job is to guard the president from threats similar to this one. Now, as I understand it, there's actually been other coup attempts within the past few years. I think there was one that was um, stopped right around the time that President Bazoum got elected. And I believe he's also uh, the first, when he came to president or to power, excuse me, it was like the first peaceful transition of power. Uh, yeah, uh, it was kind of the first uh, legitimate uh, uh, president. I mean, he was really uh, elected by people. And uh, neither has... Uh, uh, long history of coup. I mean, they had like four coups since the independence, I think, or five. I don't exactly remember, but uh, they had a lot of coup. And uh, yeah, basically it just came from almost nowhere. And uh, it was kind of different from the coup that happened in, in Mali and Burkina Faso because all of this coup uh, took uh, months to happen. It, it came slowly and slowly, especially in uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, because Burkina Faso is kind of different from Mali and they don't uh, really think the same way as Malian people. I mean, Mali was really pissed off by uh, French presence and uh, the low uh, results. I mean, this is how they consider it, but the low results uh, in, uh, in the fight against uh, terrorism. So uh, in Burkina Faso, it came very quickly um, in like... Uh, 
I don't know, in, in three weeks or uh, three months, sorry, or four months, they uh, basically just changed everything in um, the public opinion. And then they they made a coup. Actually, there were two coups in the same year in uh, Burkina Faso. The first one was made in January uh, 2000, uh, 2022. And um, the second one was made later uh, in September, like last year. So um, the, it was very surprising that it happened in in Niger. And obviously, everyone, uh, everyone saw it, it was backed by Russians because they had a lot of uh, influence. I mean, they had their own presence in Mali, of course, which now we, we can see a Wagner group. Uh, but in Burkina Faso, it was kind of... Um, they were supporting all the opposition basically. And in Niger, it was kind of surprising because uh, we haven't noticed a, a huge Russian presence. So this is how I concluded that they were not uh, behind the coup, mostly because they were not really present in uh, all the um, propaganda and disinformation on the internet, but also they were not um, supporting a lot of opposition in Niger. So you could say Niger was a pretty much stable country uh, if you if you compare it with uh, with Burkina Faso and Mali, but uh, yeah, it came just from from nowhere. And and then this is how it started. Uh, it there you had a bunch of uh, presidential guards uh, taking trying to throw up uh, President Bazoum. And then uh, after after being uh, encircled and uh, after discussing with the other officer from army and air forces, etc., they agreed to uh, drain, join the putschists and just uh, just take the power. And this is really how it, it, it took place in the first hours. So is it fair to say that at this point, a, a good chunk of the military is in line with the junta in power right now. Uh, honestly, it's hard to uh, to tell exactly if all the army agreed with the coup. I think uh, a lot of officers uh, don't really follow, don't really agree with the coup that happened, but. They will. They will. They just followed the orders uh, by uh, officers, and I think some of them. I mean, some officers might have seen uh, an opportunity for them to take more power in the country, which actually happened because a lot of uh, governors in region in the Niger region were, uh, are military. So um, I think some people have seen this as an opportunity, but. In general, I, I, I'm not sure all the army agrees with the putschists. Okay. And I I heard some speculation a couple of days ago as to why this coup may have happened. I wanted to get your opinion on it. I heard, I, I was listening to some podcast. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was the New York Times or something. I can't remember, but they theorized that the presidential guard carried out this coup because, um, you know, obviously there are a uh, elite unit within Niger's military, right, and prize the, the presidential guard. But as Islamist terrorism has become a bigger issue in the region, 
um, other units that, you know, have actually been doing counterterrorism operations have been getting a lot more attention and funding. And the person on this podcast theorized that the presidential guard carried out this coup pretty much because they're basically jealous. They, they haven't been getting the amount of funding and attention that they're used to compared to, uh, let's say, conventional units. Um, I don't know exactly uh, details. I just know that uh, the people who have made the, the coup in uh, Niger had were involved in many uh, corruption stories, you know, and uh, it probably played some somehow in this whole story. So what I know is um, uh, President Bazoum was pretty much um, pissed off with some officers uh, uh, like um, uh, the Putschist uh, Modi, which is the number two of uh, the the Putschist, and uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly what happened, but a few months ago they disagreed on some stuff uh, uh, on how the operation should take place in uh, in the countries, and basically they they just where they, I know Basum was really pissed off uh, because of this officer. So of course they were already um, some um, problems between uh, Basum and the Butchis. But the most important is uh, that he was about to fire uh, the leader of uh, the president uh, guard. He was like two or uh, three days before the coup. Uh, they were uh, talks about uh, like just firing uh, Chiani, which is the leader of Putsch in Niger. Um, this is also maybe a reason uh, why they have made the, the coup and why it came in this timing. Like it really came in the same, almost in the same day that Bazan planned to, ba to to fire him from his uh, uh, position. So this is uh, maybe a, a one of the reasons of why they have made the coup. And the most interesting part is um, that again they they were it wasn't planned uh, from a long time ago because they didn't had a lot of uh, public support during uh, during the first days they were uh, protests in favor of um, President Bazoum and you have a lots of uh, people that went in, uh, in the streets uh, during the first hours asking for his liberation. Uh, obviously, you also had a lot of people later that went to protests in support to uh, to uh, the putsches, but I think it's more related to like some tribalism because you have lots of uh, it, um, ethnical groups in uh, Niger, and of course, if they, it's also always the stories of um, if you have someone of your ethnic group in the power, you will likely support him. And if you have another one, you won't support him. It's kind of uh, oversimplified, but this this is also how it works uh, out there. Okay, got it. Expert, you got a question? Yeah, actually I do. So um, I had a few friends that were in Niger that were kind of giving me some information that was coming off. And I find it interesting because you keep circling back to how it kind of developed over hours before the protests for the junta in power, um, like in favor of, really began. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, do you think that one of the main fueling factors that this the presidential guard, besides 
the fact that he may or may not have been fired or was going to be fired was that he was that they are building their platform of power on top of uh, corruption within the government of Niger. Um, honestly, Niger is a, a corrupted country. Like, there's a lot of corruption. Uh, besides this, all the stories we we talk about uh, within the the putschists, there's a lot of corruption. You you can go there. There's a I think a lot of people who, who work there know uh, what kind of corruption there is. But um, yeah, I think it's it, it may have uh, it may have a link with uh, the reason why they uh, made the coup. But uh, I'm not sure I understood your question. Did you ask me like if it was a reason of why they have made the, the coup or no? More like um, is this. Is the uh, presidential guard that have taken power? Is are they using the the corruption within the government as their platform for why they took the power from President Bazoum to well, the people? Oh, uh, then on this question, I don't think so. Uh, actually, I think they were very pissed off uh, when uh, some people started to uh, talk about their corruption stories, and I don't think they use it as um, an argument to uh, to push other people to support them. Uh, I think they tr they kind of tried to hide it because they, no they were not talking at all about it. And um, I think this is kind of uh, taboo, if I can say that. Uh, like they they don't really they won't really talk about it. This is not how they will argue to uh, ask for support. They will mostly uh, talk about France, like uh, uh, bashing France for uh, their their results against terrorism, or uh, more in general, they will just say you know all these colonial stories uh, and talk about how people are uh, stealing resources resources in the country um, and this is more the axis they are using gotcha that makes sense yeah because i was just seeing a lot of uh what the transitional government was putting out they were like getting a lot of the influential like cabinet heads and advisors and things like that and basically putting them on quote-unquote trial on television and saying that you know because of their corruption that they were going to be uh, serving life sentences or, or whatever. Um, yeah, they have made an interesting statement uh, on, uh, on, the, on President Bezum. I think it was the only uh, first time they talk about uh, corruption. They said, uh, they called him a traitor and they wanted to uh, take him to the courts. Uh, but uh, yeah, Besides that, I, I don't think they will really talk about corruption because, like, everyone is corrupt in the area. And if you start uh, throwing stories on corruption, you will just uh, expose a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, that's it. John, you got a question? Yeah, thanks. Um, so so uh, this is uh, mainly a question for Cass, I guess, and anyone else who could answer as well. But so uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Cass is especially is aware of the uh, uh, ACLED, right? That's the Armed Conflict Location Event Data Project. So, uh, according to them, right, the the, uh, the violence in in Niger has been 
it has been growing, but not, it hasn't been the terrorism, right? It, it's been like uh, breakings, lootings, and things like that. And so uh, because of that, uh, interventions by the UN forces have grown by, uh, let me pull it up real quick, have grown by about, uh, according to this, 32%, but they, they stress that uh, that's part of it to counter right insecurity uh, and the insecurity they're talking about is the looting and things like that. Do you think that, because um, I know that prior right to right now, I can't speak for right now, the exact numbers that prior to this, Niger was the largest recipient of uh, USA uh, ID aid um, coming into the country uh, in that region, I believe. Um, do you think a, essentially the a fulfillment of the mission, right, of, of um, essentially, uh, what you could call, uh, you know, fulfillment of the ter anti-terrorism mission. Do you think that would cause a reduction in aid coming to the country from both France and the United States and other Western countries? And do you think that that may have induced, because um, I've also seen this other um, reasoning for the coup, which kind of is essentially in line with what uh, Cassius Belli was saying, right? Which is that they, he was going to not defund the military, but they were going to get uh, less and less funding. Um, and then there was some mismanagement of funds and things like that. Uh, which I, which is what I heard about um, the uh, uh, the uh, coup leader, right? And then that's essentially what induced this. Do you think that they thought that because they noticed that the mission was essentially fulfilled, not fulfilled, but you know, uh, for the most part fulfilled, that they understood that their role in the government would uh, would become uh, they would be essentially be sidelined? And do you think that could have induced their move? Um. So just to make clear, and you can correct me if I didn't get it, but you're asking me if uh, all this um, uh, increase of uh, uh, violence, but not linked to terrorism, uh, le led to uh, reducing of uh, the aid provided by the US and, and the European Union. Um, if this is also an argument by Putris, I don't, I'm not sure if I got the, your question, sorry. Yeah, yeah, essentially, that, that's exactly what I'm asking. Yeah, so, uh, no, I don't think so. It, I don't think it was related to uh, this stuff. It I don't think it was related to uh, a decrease of uh, aid sent by the uh, Europe and America. But um, I think, I think actually, Niger was pretty doing pretty good on violence. I mean, uh, terrorism, especially, uh, if you compare with the data uh from Mali and Burkina Faso but uh of course they had a more problem on uh I could say domestic violence but you know anything which is not uh linked to terrorism but um basically uh no I don't think it's related to that like the, in, in fact decreasing uh the um, uh, aids provided by uh, the United States and Europe don't uh, probably uh, limited corruption, but because sometimes when you say when you send aid to these countries, there's, there's a, always a part which is not used uh, for the the, um, the objectives that was uh, sent for. Like you can send some aid for to provide I don't know maybe uh, food for some uh, some village in, uh, in in Niger and it it will never reach it. So uh, there's also always the story of corruption, and this is why maybe sending aid to these countries should be more, um, how to say, controlled at some point. Like uh, there's always 
uh, some people trying to take some part of this aid for other meanings. But yeah, just to uh, short uh, to to answer quickly, I don't think it was related to this uh, matter. I think Puchit just have seen in an opportunity, uh, probably. Uh, influenced by uh, Mali and Burkina Faso uh, coup, which was actually a success. Um, so of course, it probably gave them ideas. I think it was mostly driven by uh, their personal uh, interests, like uh, the Chiani. I, I, there's a very funny video because Chiani said uh, during the first day of the coup that um, they took power because France and the US didn't provide enough results against terrorism. And there is a very funny video which was uh, published, uh, I think, in January of this year. And uh, he was saying the exact opposite. So it's it's most likely they are just trying to uh, take power for themselves. And of course, they probably have uh, some support by other president. And here I think about former president Isufu, uh, which is probably uh, like, I could say a traitor. Uh, he he placed himself like someone who was trying to uh, negotiate between uh, the Putschists and, uh, and President Bazoum and uh, the Western countries. But I think he's, uh, he was, I mean, from what I know, he's uh, most likely trying, to, he, he was, um, in charge of uh, the coup, he really pushed uh, Putschists to uh, take power. So I think this guy is really playing a shady game. Um, just to conclude, I really think it's just a uh, uh, personal interest stories, and it's it doesn't involve Russian, it doesn't involve um, uh, Western countries because at the first hours they were very funny. Uh, uh, comments on uh, information shared in internet saying that uh, the Putschist was supported by the US or uh, France because they want to uh, uh, you know maintain their imperialism on the country and uh, yeah it's uh, now they are saying the exact opposite but in, in the end I don't think there's any link to that it's not Russia it's not the West it's just some uh, it's just a story of some guys who have seen their uh, opportunity to take power and they just did it. That's it. Yeah, so, so I wanted to ask you about General Shiani, uh, the guy that led the coup. What do we know about him? Uh, what do we know? He was uh, he was for uh, trained on uh, his student in France. Uh, he have a strong. Uh, uh, to say uh, military education provided by France. Uh, I don't have all of, uh, all, all of his uh, resume uh, now, but I know he he had, um, wait, let me give me a second. I will just simply check because I had it on my, on my laptop. And um, he had basically, he studied in France. He studied in military in France. And um, he went back to uh, Niger and he was basically uh, leading the, the head of uh, presidential guard. He was involved in uh, another at, uh, coup attempt back in uh, uh, 2015, if I'm correct. And he was judged by court in 2018. So 
this guy have experience in coup. Uh, I mean, he know what he what he is doing. Uh, but what I know about uh, his position is he was kind of the default choice uh, among inside uh, the the putsches. Like his number two, uh, General Modi, don't really like him. Uh, mostly because they are uh, two different ethnic groups, so there's kind of this story, but also they have a personal uh, conflict between them. So um, General uh, Chiani is uh, probably just uh, the guy they chose uh, quickly just to place him on in this position, because during the first hour, I don't know if you remember the first video when they announced um, uh, that uh, Puchis took power, you don't see General uh, Chiani. You only see uh, all the other officers. You see this guy uh, wearing the blue uh, the blue suit uh, in the front, and you you see all the other officers in uh, in uh, in army, in air force, and different um, other group of uh, of uh, armored force in Niger. So uh, yeah, I think this is what we know. Um, He's probably just uh, one opportunistic uh, guy, and he was placed la placed placed in this position, um, probably because he was just like the default choice. I don't think he have a lot of support even inside uh, the the putschist, and uh, yeah, that's it. So even though he's nominally the leader of this group, he's he's not necessarily all powerful. He's not just one man or so so he's he's like not really approved inside the 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 purchase. like they choose him as a default choice like they just try, they just had to put someone in the power during the first uh, hours uh, after the coup they were no information on uh, who will take the, the lead of this uh, purchase and they were no information on anything so uh, as I said, when they have released their first uh, uh, video on uh, the national TV, they were uh, Chiani was not present, and the reason he was not present is uh, they nobody was uh, had had taken any um, how to say nobody uh, selected any guy to lead them. So uh, he was he was he came in front of. Uh, the national TV later because he was uh, just chosen as a default choice. Maybe he have some uh, supporters among the, the putsches, but I think most of them just don't really support him. Uh, for now, they are trying to um, exist and live as a, a group. You know, they are trying to survive uh, in some in, the, in their position. Since now we they are uh, they have uh, France against them. They have. ECOWAS, they have a lot of uh, countries against them. And uh, now they are just trying to consolidate their position. And, uh, you know, they will probably have uh, other problems later later if they stay in power. But actually, they will they will just comply and uh, accept him as, a, as a, the leader. I think the fact that he was just sort of the default choice kind of goes back to what you were saying about this coup not really being planned out. It was sort of a last minute decision to to initiate this within hours of it happening. This, this wasn't planned months in advance. Yeah, it wasn't planned at all. Uh, and the, the thing, is, the, the indicator of that is 
when they have made a coup, they didn't uh, went quickly to uh, the national TV. You know, usually I'm, <laughs> I have followed a lot of coup in Africa and the path is when you take the power, you quickly go and secure uh, the national TV or at least block it. Um, so you can control information in the country, you can control uh, national television. Don't forget that lots of people just follow information in those countries through uh, national TV or radio. So you will take and secure this place in the, in the, first, uh, in the first place. And, um, and then you will uh, start communicating. And this is how it happened in uh, Guinea, in Mali, in Burkina Faso, but they haven't done it in Niger. And this is probably um, uh, a hint uh, letting me, uh, confirming that they didn't plan anything. They just maybe, I think it was very, um, the coup started and was led by a very small group of officers and they just have done it suddenly. Uh, they really uh, just try to take their opportunity. Yeah, it makes sense. So obviously this coup has, uh, it has sparked some, international concern, I guess you could say. So I, I wanted to ask you about really what the responses have been from the wider international community. I want to save ECOWAS for um, a little bit later, because I'm sure we're going to spend a decent amount of time talking about that. Um, but what has the response been from, you know, let's say African Union, uh, US, France, and the UN? Those are probably uh, the biggest players other than ECOWAS, I would imagine. So uh, the international response from the US on uh, basically Europe, if you say France, uh, they all condemned the coup. They were against it uh, in the first place. And uh, I think I think France was mostly, uh, uh, how to say, the most aggressive against the putschists. They really uh, started to uh, threaten the putschists. And, um, then you had uh, African Union, which condemned also the coup. Uh, and they, they have made a, a deadline saying that if you don't reinstate the power in uh, two weeks, uh, we will do something. <laughs> but they didn't specify what. So uh, unlikely ECOWAS uh, said, like, if you don't reinstate power in one week, we will do a military intervention. Uh, African Union just... Um, uh, try to uh, put some pressure on the putschists, but that's it. And uh, as you can see today, there is no military intervention. There is uh, nothing yet. Uh, maybe it will happen, but there is nothing yet. And the most interesting part is probably the position of Russia, because uh, when the coup happened uh, on 26 July, uh, there were uh, the Af uh, Russian Africa summit in St. Petersburg. And you had a lot of uh, African leaders uh, that went to Russia to uh, meet with uh, Russian official and also uh, discuss uh, a lot of things. Uh, and uh, I think they were kind of surprised because when I was looking at their uh, all their uh, propaganda channels, nobody was talking about the coup during the 26th July. You can you, you don't find any information because nobody was paying attention at all. And 
then during the, the summit uh, in St. Petersburg, uh, the Russian diplomacy on uh, Lavrov himself said he was supporting uh, uh, the constitution in Niger, say, meaning that they were not supporting uh, the putschists. So uh, I think it, it, have, it was the first time for a long moment that Russia was taking the same position as uh, the Western countries. Even, uh, even if now they're saying they are against uh, military uh, intervention, the first statement from their side was uh, to say that they are uh, against putschists. And this is very funny because if you look at some uh, pro-Wagner uh, channels, they were pissed off because of this statement because um, uh, Prigozhin was supporting the, the putschists. I mean, he, he took the opportunistic uh, way like he placed himself as an opportunistic player, but the Russian diplomacy was against the, the coup. And uh, yeah, and on international um, uh, United Nations, um, basically they were they condemned the coup. But no, this is also always the work of United Nations. They can do much, and I think they refused, they rejected uh, the military intervention proposed by ECOWAS. I'm not sure. I need to check uh, now, but. Um, yeah, basically they were against the coup, but you know, it's it is an international organization. They won't take very uh, uh, aggressive position, uh, even if you had uh, African uh, Union trying to pressure them. Yeah, so as you were saying, the Russian reaction is pretty interesting because you brought up the summit that was just in St. Petersburg around the same time this coup happened. Um, I mean, notably at that summit, you had the representatives from Mali and Burkina Faso, the leaders from those two countries who are, you know, members of the military. And they were there like in their fatigues and everything like that. And from my understanding, Russia has been pretty warm towards them. So it's interesting to see this reaction to Niger. Yeah, um, I think everyone has seen this uh images of uh, the Burkina Faso leader and the, and the Malian leader in Russia, uh, especially the Burkina Faso leader Traore with his uh, military clothes and talking to uh, to people. I think he has made a lot of impression. Um, but uh, yeah, it's their position is very interesting. Uh, everyone could, saw, could think that Russia was behind the coup, but it seems it truly seems like they they were not aware at all. Uh, I have heard about some of their uh, you know they have uh, some discussion channels and forums, and I was reading about their opinion, like uh, some officers' opinion, and basically they were kind of surprised. But they, in the end, they were saying like, yeah, this is just uh, this is normal and um, this is against France imperialism. But the Russian diplomacy itself were uh, very against uh, the coup. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is what we can say. But the meeting in Saint Petersburg was mostly um, the timing of this this meeting was kind of um, um, how to say surprising uh, regarding the the coup and uh, and yeah, that's it. Got it. We got two questions. Uh, Xpin, I'll let you go first, and then John, I'll hit you after. Yeah, so just before we touch off of Russia, I just wanted to bring up something that I found was kind of interesting. So prior to 
the summit, uh, Burkina Faso and Mali were very much uh, steadfast in the fact that they were going to provide some type of military support to this transitional government if there was a military intervention. But what I noticed was is that after the summit, that's when they wanted to take diplomatic pause and engage in conversation with uh, with ECOWAS or with the AU to begin to slow this this possible military action. Do you think because of uh, the stance that the Russian delegation took that that's why those two nations started to back off a little bit because they thought they may have possibly gotten some support from Russia if they did decide to support the transitional government? Um. What I know for sure is uh, Russia, I mean, not their diplomacy, but uh, other um, part of Russia just took an opportunistic uh, position in this in this crisis. Uh, I'm sh I, as you said, uh, Mali and Burkina Faso have met uh, leaders, uh, Russian leaders, and um, you have you may have seen uh, that uh, Putin himself talk with uh, Goita, which is the leader of Mali, and uh, he probably had talks too with uh, Traoré, which is the leader of Burkina Faso. So I'm almost sure that Russia um, gave gave them insurance of uh, backing them in case they were starting uh, a war against ECOWAS because uh, just. Maybe I remember reminder for people that haven't followed much, but uh, Mali and Burkina Faso said they will uh, declare a state of war if uh, ECOWAS will intervene in neither. And this is probably also the the reason. I mean, they probably had uh, the ideas themselves, uh, and Russia just came as a uh, external player and provided them some guarantees, but I don't know exactly what was discussed, discussed in, the, in detail, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was the case. And um, yeah, I think uh, I think Russia, Russia placed it itself just as an uh, opportunistic uh, player. And mostly the goal I think is mostly to uh, crush uh, French influence in the region. Um, if you notice, they don't really uh, try to crush uh, against uh, American influence or even their presence. Even now in Niger, uh, they barely talk about uh, American bases. They mostly talk about French bases, which is uh, kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, I think they are just placing themselves like this. Okay, so just so that I have it right, um, you kind of think that Overtly, Russia is saying, oh, yeah, no to the coup, but behind closed doors, they're probably giving assurances to Mali and Burkina Faso that they will give them support if it goes to a kinetic conflict. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really think that. I think, uh, I, as you said, I think Russia just is taking its place, but it's still interesting to uh, note that uh their diplomacy, uh, I mean, their uh, diplomatic position is still against the putsches. So I, I'm not sure they will support, uh, completely support uh, the putsches. I know uh, the putsches have met the Wagner group in Bamako, in Mali, uh, for sure. Like this is confirmed. And they had discussion about it. And you know, Wagner is all, always 
um, kind of tool for Russia. Like it's um, I I forgot the the, the term, but uh, you know, it's like when a country can use a non-state actor just to influence uh, an area. And, yeah, it's plausible uh, deniability. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so basically, they I'm sure they they started to have contacts with uh, the the putschists in Niger, but uh, I cannot doubt that um, they will uh, strongly support uh, putschists in Niger, mostly because it will uh, create a lots of uh, instabilities in the region. And for now, I think they they are just playing slow. Um, like they are playing in slow mode and just waiting to see how it goes and just try to take the maximum advantage of uh, what they can uh, in this crisis. Okay, awesome. John, what do you got? Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, so um, do you think that uh, with the role of France versus the role of the United States uh, uh, in Niger since the coup, um, uh, do you see it differing much? Because I, I, personally, I, I see that we have differed much. And do you see uh, any tensions between the United States and France over how we're handling the uh, coup? Uh, um, I do understand that France obviously uh, may may have more invested into in Niger than the United States and in the region, and uh, a, a political or geopolitical loss right in Niger may mean more. Um, do you do you think France? is uh, maybe angry with the United States um, for the way we've been handling it, this kind of um, keeping it at arm's length, this kind of standoffish uh, 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 way of handling it? Or do you think France either doesn't really care that much or do you, you know, could they, would they like to see more U.S. involvement, possibly, you know, uh, involvement from some of our uh, 1,100 forces that are uh, within Niger? Uh, this is a very interesting question because it was uh, it wasn't really discussed on the public uh, public places, but uh, yeah, of course, France was kind of pissed off by uh, the last uh, American position. Um, so, at first, I think they were they agreed on uh, condemning uh, the putschists in Niger and uh, just trying to uh, take position against them, and also. Um, I think uh, maybe the U.S. was kind of in the same line uh, with France on the on this crisis, but I think the U.S. just started to take the pragmatic way, uh, which is like um, probably we we invested a lot of uh, money in our bases in Niger, and this is our main uh, security. Uh, place for uh, the Sahel region. So we really don't want to lose it. So uh, they didn't they didn't study it like this, but it let me think that they could agree on uh, having pushes in Niger in exchange of keeping their bases. And of course it will uh, really piss off France because uh, France uh, is actually losing its influence in Africa. It's not a secret for anyone. They lost their influence in uh, in Central Africa. They lost influence in Mali, in uh, um, Guinea, in uh, Burkina Faso. And you have a lot of uh, developments in other African countries, which let me think that uh, France just should kind of give up Africa somehow. Um, and um, yeah, they they are taking another position now. Now France really wants to uh, to maybe uh, throw away this uh, this um, purchase because of course uh, President Bazoum was really close to France, 
uh, Basum was in France uh, a few months ago in second April. And by, by the way, uh, at this time, we had some rumors spread on the internet saying that they were a coup in April. It was fake news, but it was um, maybe the first attempt uh, to spread misinformation on Niger. And back in time, I, re I tweeted it and I shared the information. It was very interesting. But um, as I said, Prison Basm was really close to France. Uh, so, of course, France has good time, uh, good ties with them. They were working very closely with them. And now they're afraid. I mean, France is afraid to uh, lose all this connection with the country. And then it's also afraid to lose all of its influence in the region because you also have uh, a Chad, which is uh, right next to uh, Niger. And uh, maybe it's also afraid to uh, see other countries uh, uh, losing their, uh, I mean, seeing uh, other coup in the country, you know. So yeah, today uh, it was discussed on uh, public medias, but there's a kind of, I would say, cold tie between uh, French and American diplomacy. I think France might be uh, feeling itself kind of betrayed because they had other plans in their head. But uh, I kind of I kinda like the pragmatism of uh, the United States. Like they were keep their interests first at any cost. And uh, maybe this is also what France should learn a little bit more and trying to accept when it's time to leave, when it's time to go and try to just build a new uh, relation with the African continent. And um, yeah, for now, I think this is kind of difficult between France and the uh, United States. Uh, the visit, uh, the Victoria Nilon visit in Niger was probably aimed to uh, secure Niger uh, from Wagner. I mean, not only that, but it was mainly the the main topic, like trying to avoid Wagner in the country at all costs. <clears throat> and uh, now se sending a new ambassador to uh, Niger is also a kind of small sign uh, from the US saying that uh, maybe we will, we are open talking with uh, the Putschists in Niger. And maybe if you can avoid a military intervention, we will do it. And uh, yeah, I think this is kind of the difference uh, between France and the US. Okay, good stuff. So I wanted to ask you getting into this thing with ECOWAS, why have they gotten so involved? in this situation? Um, ECOWAS was involved in uh, many uh, situations in the area. I, I remember uh, Gambia, I remember Liber Liberia. There's uh, many other examples, I think there's uh, like 10 or more. So uh, ECOWAS uh, rule, besides being an economic uh, group, is also to uh, ensure that all these countries are stable. Like make sure that all these countries have a democratically elected president, uh, make sure that more or less everything is working well in terms of uh, uh, political institutions and therefore uh, keep working with 
uh, their own currencies and making business. So if you have uh, a, a coup, another coup, which is uh, actually the third one, uh, yeah, the, the first one um, uh, in Africa, you might open uh, the, the Pandora box for the whole region and you will see all these uh, weak uh, states in, in this part of the world uh, trying to uh, make coup in their own countries. Like I can talk about Senegal, I can talk about Togo, I can talk about uh, uh, Ivory Coast, and you will have all these countries which which have their president in a very bad position uh, in terms of uh, public opinion. Um, it it could give ideas to other people in these countries to make coup and destabilize even more these countries. So this is why ECOWAS was involved in all of this. It was mainly to, to um, prevent other coup happening in Africa and not just let them do, do what they want. Uh, because otherwise you will have more and more, more and more coup uh, in the region and in the end it's bad for the country. If you go if you go and see what happened in Mali and Burkina Faso, you you don't see any um, significant success against terrorism group. You see in fact uh, an increase of terrorist group even after uh, coup, even after uh, French uh, leaving the countries. So you will have a bigger problem in the world region if you just tend to let people do their coup and just go away, you know? And uh, I think this is the main reason. So obviously since this has been going on, there's been a lot of back and forth as to whether or not an ECOWAS intervention may happen. Obviously they threatened it uh, when they gave their initial deadline when this coup first happened and then they had their summits saying, you know, our military leaders have kind of hammered out details of a potential operation. It just needs a heads of state to approve. And then I think it was a president of the Ivory Coast came out and said, like, hey, we approve this plan to pretty much happen any day now. Right. We're just waiting to, you know, pull the trigger on it pretty much. But it's it's been some time. Right. There's the deadline has passed you know, a long time ago, and it's kind of up in the air as to what's going to happen. What what do we think the likelihood is of an actual military operation? Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, even our defense builds and want to start talking first. Okay. What do yeah, you guys yeah, think I, if you had to guess? Yeah, I, I could answer real quick uh, and then uh, explain if you want to go you can go first um uh so, so i've been reading i've been kind of like sticking to critical threats a lot which is that they work with isw that's the, the institute for the study of war most of the listeners will probably know what the institute for study of war is but i think the the uh, platform that gets a lot of less coverage is uh, critical threats which they do a lot of focusing on uh, threats around the world, but a lot in the Sahel region in Africa, and they have like a Sahel update, uh, a weekly update, and they've also been doing updates on the the Niger um, coup. And, yeah, and what they source. Yeah, 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 bang out source. Um, and what they what they said uh, in their latest update um, for this past for this uh, past week, right, is that uh, they they're not going to see. They they think that ECOWAS cannot mobilize the forces they need to intervene in Niger within. 30 days, right? They think they're going to need 30 days 
time to do this, um, which kind of directly contradicts, right, just yesterday, right, ECOWAS kind of stated, like, okay, we're ready to go in, we're ready to do this. Now, I, I can't speak to, I don't know if anyone else can speak to the actual amount of forces that we've seen assemble so far. Um, I do know that some super Ticanos from uh, some AU nations uh, were sent to uh, the Pushish, um, uh in uh in Niger, um, I, I can't speak to also how much those will help because obviously, right, um, uh, you know, uh, countries like Nigeria, especially, right, have a, a significant, um, uh, uh, significant uh, weapon systems that I would think would kind of make these kind of negate the effect of a Super Tucano in the battlefield. For those who don't know, that's, a, that's like a prop uh, propeller aircraft. Um, you could, when you think of like a, a P-51 Mustang, essentially, um, but uh, one thing I have seen critical threat saying a lot, and I've also seen other platforms saying this as well, that kind of like, uh, and the word they use, right, is a linchpin, is that Nigeria is kind of a linchpin on this, right? Because ECOWAS is not going to be able to move on this without Nigeria's full support and, and essentially without their armed forces, because, right, they're the powerhouse in the region. Um, and, and so I, I don't, I, I think I'm, you know, inclined to agree with Cass's belly, right, that they kind of said that they were going to intervene as kind of like, okay, maybe they won't call our bluff. And then the, the, um, the, uh, the, the pooch that's essentially called their bluff essentially. And now they actually have to do this because I still have yet to hear a lot about, you know, an actual assembly of forces and things like that. So uh, I think we still have a lot to see. Um, but as of right now, I would say, I don't think they're going to go in. I, I think they were bluffing and I think that, that they, their bluff got called essentially. So um, basically what I wanted to say is just to maybe put some context on uh, military intervention for people uh, listening to us. So ECOWAS said uh, like a few days after the coup that if the Putschis don't uh, give back the power to uh, President Bazoum, they will intervene in the country within seven days. And I think it was the biggest, pro uh, biggest mistake in all of these uh, countries because just like in Afghanistan, uh, for the Americans, uh, when you when you give a date to your opponent and uh, you will tell him, okay, to this date we will leave, uh, or to this day we will act, you you give uh, um, the initiative to the opponent. So um, I think it was a mistake to to uh, threaten these butches with uh, seven days because now it passed. It's been like three weeks now, I think. Um, they haven't done nothing and they kind of lose their credibility and they put themselves in a very uh, bad position because they are forced kind of to intervene uh, to prove that they can do something. And if they don't intervene, they will just like, look like uh, clones. They will um, don't really be a treat uh, even in the future. And they won't really be um, considered as a serious organization. So... Um, this is my uh, my first uh, thought about it. And the second thing is in terms of military forces, I think Nigeria is probably the, the country that will provide the, more, uh, the most soldiers uh, since they have uh, a lot of experience and they have uh, a lot of uh, capabilities. And also uh, I heard about uh, 25,000 uh, soldiers mobilized uh, for a potential intervention. I think uh, Nigeria will provide the, the biggest uh, contingent for uh, the military uh, operation. Uh, 
uh, and then you will have uh, other countries like Senegal, like uh, uh, Ivory Coast, etc. You will have all these countries providing uh, them to a uh, few soldiers as well. But uh, yeah, I think the problem is when it when this coup happened, uh, it it should have been uh, fixed right now. Like if you wait too much you will lose uh, the public opinion because, of course, a lot of people will uh, uh, slowly just uh, support uh, the putsches because all of this organization have put sanction against Niger and now you have problem uh, people uh, facing food problems. You, will, you, you, you have people facing uh, liquidity problems in the country and even electricity now. So slowly you will have all those people uh, supporting all uh, the the pushes because they they are saying like uh, this is not a, a problem created by the pushes itself but it's the cause of sanctions so of course they will slowly um, uh, support this pushes so the more you wait the more you're losing the public opinion support and it's very important because if you start uh, uh, any operation in the country now. Uh, if you have people against you, you will have a lot of trouble and it can turn uh, very badly in terms of operation. Um, so my point is to say we should have intervened in the first hours of the coup, like really in the first hours when it happened so you can help uh, maybe uh, the president and uh, other forces to arrest the putsches right now and not wait three weeks later and try to intervene in the country. And just to go back to the um, to the point of uh, capabilities, yeah, it's probably true that uh, ECOWAS don't have uh, uh, don't have time to uh, mobilize all these people. Maybe they will need more time. The thing is, now it's in, we're we're playing in a shady uh, you know a gray a gray area. Like there are. Or some days they are sending delegation talking with the putschists, and then they they are uh, threatening putschists again, and then they are saying they will mobilize people and etc. etc. So at some point you will have to make a decision. You can't just stay and try to bluff uh, at the putschists uh, until something happen. And the more time you you lose, the more time you're uh, creating um, a risk that. Any military intervention will turn bad, and it could be a very huge issue because both France and uh, America have troops, even Italians as well, and German people. But there's um, <clears throat> there's a true uh, risk on this uh, story, and uh, yeah, I think uh, America don't really want to get involved in Africa and probably give. Uh, gives it some bad memories. I mean, there's uh, uh, not a lot of involvement of, Amer uh, of America in Africa since the Somalia story, et cetera. But um, if, you, if you don't act now, you will just have to comply with those butchers and you will have to deal with it. And it seems like, just to conclude and to link with the former question, but I really have the feeling that some countries uh, and America among them uh, probably wants to comply with this purchase and just say, okay, we're good with you, but we, if you can guarantee that we will uh, keep us our basis in the country, uh, we're fine with you. Yeah, I think you bring up a couple good points. I mean, when you set an initial deadline and then you keep pushing it back and back multiple times and we need to have a summit, we need to have a second summit, a third summit, we need to do all these things. It just, 
it makes you look like you don't really know what you're doing. Um, and the more time it takes, I mean, the less likely that there will be a successful military intervention, right? Obviously, you give the the pooches more time to prepare. I mean, that's just it gives them more favorable terms in the event of a uh, military intervention. I'm also glad you brought up foreign aid, you know, because I think uh, Niger's budget is based off 40% of foreign aid, right? So you take that away, you run the risk as time goes on of people starting to blame let's say the u.s and france as opposed to the pooches for that aid being taken away which 40 percent that's a good chunk of change you know i think niger is probably one of the poorest nations in the world and um if that 40 percent is missing they're they're definitely going to notice it as time goes on but Xpin, I know you had something you want to bring up. And then after, I actually do want to ask you about Nigeria, because I know me and you have talked about that uh, within the past week or so. There's quite a bit to unpack here. So uh, I have a little bit of on-the-ground insight within what ECOWAS's strategy is. And basically, kind of, they don't necessarily need 30 days to move the forces or to mobilize a force. Um, because basically, you have... ECOWAS member nations that surround Niger and associated ECOWAS member nations that along with Nigeria being the powerhouse as far as um, who would be supplying this force, but joint partners of Nigeria that make up the Lake Chad Basin that all have come together and have fought against the terror in the region outside of ECOWAS for the past nearly a decade now. So... Uh, there's long-standing relationships there with with the governments that have been in place, especially over the recent years, um, because a lot of these nations have kindly come to some sense of stability within their political systems, whether that's Nigeria, Chad, Cameroon, and Niger up until recently. Um, so ECOWAS's kind of strategy is to is that uh, they're kind of playing that we have you surrounded game and it's we can either talk diplomatically or you are going to force our hand to get involved which is why <clears throat> i think is another contributing factor to why uh molly and burkino faso have kind of beyond uh the russian point but have kind of backed off of necessarily being super strong on the military intervention side because they realize this at this point because like we already announced uh, Cote d'Ivoire has already uh, committed force Nigeria has already committed resources and not necessarily forces but resources and the forces will soon to follow um, their joint task force members such as Chad and Cameroon, I'm sure will also get involved and be be giving uh, resources towards this as well. Um, so, so what a lot of people forget is that the Lake Chad Basin's uh, Joint Task Force have been longstanding partners for a long time and they've had close relationship and associateship with each other in the fight against counterterror in the region. Uh, so... Essentially, as far as the mobilization of the force, it's very hard to say that it's it's going to take 30 days. Um, I think as long as a solid plan is put into place, it would not actually take them very long to mobilize this force. 
with the added resources of the associated nations that uh, I think would jump in to aid ECOWAS in this. Okay, interesting. Uh, John, I'll let you go. And then after that, Evan, I am going to ask you about Nigeria real quick. Yes. So, um, Evan, do, do you think that essentially um, you kind of mentioned how, like, uh, you know, the uh, ECOWAS is right oriented towards the right, the counter-terror fight? Um, do you think we're kind of seeing a similar thing like we saw right with the United States and even Russia and other Western nations? Do you think they're not really oriented towards a force on force fight? Do you think that could possibly be why other than just, you know, kind of waiting and waiting and waiting? Um, do you think uh, kind of getting their forces amalgamated together and things maybe because they're so oriented towards I know I know Nigeria had an election as well, um, but maybe because they're oriented towards a specific fight and not necessarily this force on force fight country on country fight? Or is that kind of like just a shot in the dark? Well, I think it really comes down to not necessarily a, a military or strategy question as much as it is a geopolitical one, right? Like all of these, all of these nations together, uh, previous to this coup, have have been, you know, interacting with each other on multiple levels, just beyond defense. But so they have longstanding relationships, and and there's reason to lose, and there's a lot to lose by losing their regional partner in that. I mean, with, let's say, this transitional government were to stay in power within Niger, and then, um, you know, they can't handle the influx of overflow of Islamic extremism from Mali and Burkina Faso, then that leaves that entire, basically, northwestern flank open to more... Islamic extremism spreading into the Lake Chad Basin, uh, which would be catastrophic for Nigeria, Chad, and Cameroon, who have put concerted effort into coming very close to finishing it in their nation and in that in that Lake Chad Basin region. So in the terms of your question, ye, they are more geared toward the counter-terror fight and working together in that sense, but as far as the country and country, I mean, they all have the capabilities to do it. Do they want to do it? No. But at the same time, they do want to keep the relationships that they have and, and everything that they have been doing because uh, for the Lake Chad Basin, it has been successful, this little joint association of those nations. Good, thanks. And Expin, I wanted to ask you about Nigeria. Like I said, you know, we talked about this, I don't know, maybe it's a week ago or something like that you have an interesting situation where it seems like if nigeria is not on board um then there's probably not going to be an ego loss intervention right they're probably the the most capable nation in terms of uh military capability um in eco loss and the alliance really depends on them to make something happen as far as a military intervention you have a situation where you have a, a new president right uh tanubu i think his name is who says he wants to get involved right but obviously nigeria has issues of its own um particularly islamist extremism right they got a pretty good fight on their hands and the senate has already said that they will not support a deployment of troops uh to restore president Bazoum to power in niger However, I believe there is a uh, 
provision in the Constitution that allows President Tinubu to deploy forces regardless of what the Senate thinks. So my question is, how likely do you think it is that Niger, I'm sorry, Nigeria will go along with a military intervention? It's a very good question. And it's and it kind of leads back into what I was just talking to uh, John about. And it really lies in the fact that, uh, well, a couple of things. You, uh, you touched on the first point, you know, Nigeria is just experienced their elections and President Tinubu got uh, instated and, and took over the reins of power just here recently in the past few months. So this is still a very, very fresh election. Um, the big thing that people were uh, really kind of reluctant to talk about because they didn't really know how he would operate in this sense is Tanubu's tenacity uh, with his military strategy. Um, Nigeria, for the most part, has always kind of stayed out of external conflicts, and most of their fight has been internally, like you said, with Islamic extremism, banditry in the northwest, criminal gangs in, in the like central and southwest region, and then herdsmen and, and small separatist movement in the southeast. So they've had enough on their plate that they don't necessarily get involved too much externally. However, uh, going back to what I was just talking about to, with John, if you look at it and if by chance, they've had relative success with the previous administration that was before the coup occurred in Niger with their fight against counterterrorism with this joint task force in the Lake Chad Basin. Anybody that is aware of how this situation has been happening in, the, in West Africa over the past few decades is going to realize that if this transitional government does not have success in retaining the same amount of control that they have now or better, and it becomes an open vulnerability that a large amount of Islamic extremism could possibly start to flood down into the Lake Chad Basin because they now have an open route. They're going to be using Niger as a safe haven because this new transitional government doesn't have control over large swaths of territory within the nation. So strategically, anybody within this defense panel within Nigeria is going to see this. I mean, um, so that's why I believe that Nigeria is right off the bat committing resources, not troops yet, but resources. And I think if push comes to shove, Tanubu is going to possibly use the ECOWAS invasion as a way to show, hey, I can handle things militarily, not just political machines and foreign investment as he's known for. Um, so yeah, I think if it comes push comes to shove and backs in the corner and all the other countries have signed on and said, we're going, I don't think Nigeria is going to leave the rest of their partners uh, waiting. Okay, I just don't necessarily believe they're going to lead the charge and be the first nation to step foot across the border. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, Cassis, I, I wanted to ask about a small amount of foreign forces that are in Niger, right? I think you mentioned U.S. troops, uh, French, Italians, maybe some Germans. Let's say there is a 
military operation in Niger. Are those foreign forces possibly at risk from, uh, let's say, Nigerian troops or even civilians? Uh, actually, this is a very good uh, question you're asking me because I know from valuable sources that uh, both French uh, bases and American bases have been uh, targeted by uh, civilians uh, making protests. Basically, they went close to their, their bases in, in Niamey mostly, and uh, they started to make protests there asking... Uh, asking them to leave mostly uh, against uh, France, uh, French troops there. And um, yeah, so it's also uh, a tool for the, um, how to say, for uh, the putschists to uh, try to push for a mistake because if you have a lot of civilians, I don't know if you, if you guys have been in any military base in Africa, but if you go in these countries and um, have a bunch of civilians coming, uh, protesting in front of your base, maybe trying to get inside the base. If you have any accident, like someone uh, opening fire or anything like this, uh, it will just create the whole fucking uh, problem in the in the country. Um, I think this is also what they're trying to do, like trying to pressure uh, for a military bases, mostly French. I think uh, I know that uh, the U.S. ones all also have been uh, under pressure a little bit, but um, yeah, this is uh, how the the Putschists can try to uh, destabilize uh, foreign forces. But it was a few days ago, and since that, I haven't noticed uh, anything else. Uh, I I know they have been protests even today. Uh, in front of uh, the French military base in Niamey, uh, but it was kind of like pacific. It wasn't very aggressive. So I think it's it's also um, driven by some uh, opposition groups because uh, I mean there were already some opposition groups in in either previous to the coup, uh, especially um, in uh, in uh, in one group which was called. Um, I, I forget their name, but uh, it was it was a um, it was a group uh, created by the civilians, and it was mostly against President Bazoum for years. They started to ask for French French forces to leave uh, like one year ago. Like suddenly, it was it, it they were they had no reason for that previous uh, previous this statement, and they suddenly just started to ask uh, foreign forces to to leave the country, and now. Um, uh, from my understanding, is uh, that they are mostly driving the the, uh, the the protests in the country. Like they have close ties with the putschists now, and they are uh, calling them to uh, make all the protests and uh, even uh, the protests against the French embassy. I think all uh, all of you have have seen the the videos. I know it was driven by this uh, movement, which uh, which is called the um, uh, M. Um, I forgot the name, but is that the M sixty two that you posted about? Yeah, 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 yeah. M sixty two. Um, uh, they were they were taking uh calling this group and this group itself was calling other civilians and members to go in the street to protest with uh even some uh, military officers. There's video about that showing that some uh office, officer among the the um 
people that were protesting. So yeah, of course, the goal is to try to pressure uh, foreign bases. I don't think Germans were uh, the target. <laughs> they were. They are only like uh, 300. Uh, uh, I think they are special forces in Niger. I'm, I don't remember exactly, but mostly spe special forces. And they are uh, like, um, what, 1,000 uh, American uh, soldiers there, I think. And uh, something like that uh, for something similar for uh, French forces. So the goal is just trying to put even more pressure on this basis, uh, cr trying to create any conflict, any accident that could happen and just try to uh, accuse uh, these countries. But now with the new statement of the, their prime minister, you know, they have um, uh, appointed a new prime minister for their uh, uh, junta. But um, this guy said to the New York Times, they are, they are okay with foreign bases in their country. They, they don't necessarily want them to go out of the country. Uh, but they want uh, some more uh, stuff, like some more respect, for example, and they don't want me to be pushed and forced uh, to uh, find another uh, partner. And it was mostly talking about Russia, but um, this is now their position. I think it, it changes a little bit after a few uh, talks with the US. I think the US maybe have answered that uh, the Putschists don't really play too close with this bases and try to secure them and uh, in exchange maybe they will I don't know just try to find a way to resolve all, all of this crisis because uh, I think there's one point we haven't discussed but this is kind of important but Niger is uh, circled by uh, a lot of countries we have who have themselves their own problems like if you go to Chad Chad is now today uh, at war again with uh, rebels, which is the rebel of uh, FACT, um, which is a, a, another military in the northern uh, part of the country. You have Libya, uh, a border with Libya, which is, uh, I mean, everyone knows Libya is a kind of mess. Yeah, and you have the... <laughs> on that much, yeah. yeah, you have also the border with Algeria, which is probably the most stable uh, state in the region. And you have then Mali, Burkina Faso, Benin, all of these countries are facing terrorism groups. You have Nigeria, maybe, which is kind of stronger uh, in the region and more stable. And, uh, and that's it. So Niger is facing a lot of threats on its borders. Um, at the same time, so you have the, the, the Putschists, they have to survive uh, uh, and try to both try to find a way to resolve all this crisis and stay in power and at the same time uh, keep ensuring the security in the, in the country because if you follow the, these last days there were like i don't know four or five terrorism attack in the north not far from uh, the ma so uh you can see there's a lot of uh, issues that could be added to all of this crisis and i think there's a very huge risk in all this situation and um, yeah, for now, uh, it seems like Putschists might uh, try to uh, find another way and not try to pressure that much uh, foreign bases. But at first, they really uh, try to pressure them. Uh, for example, the uh, 101 uh, military bases, which is the American one in Yame. Uh, I know they had some troubles uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I don't, I don't really understood what happened, but they had some troubles with even with um, uh, Niger officers and tried to 
preserves them. So uh, you can see there's a dangerous game happening in there. And uh, I think uh, maybe the US uh, kind of fi fixed it lately. So I think it, it, it could be used in the future yet. But uh, in case of any military operation, the question is whether these forces in the country will take part or not. And I'm not sure they will take part because there's a lot of risk of uh, getting involved in a country that you don't really want to be involved in it. And maybe you just want to let ECOWAS take the lead and uh, try to uh, support them maybe in terms of, uh, I don't know, intelligence or logistic and all this stuff. Got it. So I wanted to ask you real quick about the international airport in the capital, Niemi. Is that currently controlled by foreign forces? It's not completely. Uh, is there? In fact, the the uh, airport is pretty big. Uh, I don't know if you have ever been in this place. Uh, I have, so I I have an idea of how it looks like. It's very big, and you have a, a part of the airport which is controlled by uh, foreign forces. You have uh, this is the base where you can see uh, uh, drones. You can see the Reaper. You can see uh, uh, other drones like this, and many. Uh, many uh, planes and uh, not not all of it is controlled by foreign forces, but there's a big part of it uh, occupied by foreign forces. This is their, basically the base used uh, to travel in the country, uh, also to go to uh, Agadez and also uh, Dirkul because uh, you know there's uh, another basis, uh, US basis in uh, in Agadez and also in in Dirkul. But the Dirku one is kind of smaller and kind of special, if I can say like this. Okay, so foreign forces controlling some parts of the airport is normal and has nothing to do with a coup. No, no, no. It's it's uh it's used by the foreign forces for uh the deployments in their operations uh in the country. You know, just like in Bamako or in uh, uh I mean, Burkina Faso wouldn't be the example, but in Bamako when the Barkan was deployed there. Uh, part, uh, one part of uh, the bases was occupied by uh, French forces, mostly because uh, when you deploy an army in a foreign country and you want to help him, you need to uh, you need um, uh, to have an access to the airport for all the log logistic parts uh, for your troops. So if you want to send any anything through your troops or even make any rotation you need to have an access so this is the reason why you have troops on this uh, airport but it have nothing to do with the coup okay i think uh, another good example for our listeners would probably be the uh, international airport of baghdad i know the u.s military controls a certain part of that i can't remember what the, the name of the camp is but obviously they'll deploy forces out of that and operate out of there as well so obviously, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know it's just about midnight where you are currently, but there's two organizations I wanted to ask you about real quick that are on the opposite sides of this thing. The first one is the Resistance Council for the Republic, and then the second one is the Volunteers for the Defense of Niger. Um, first off, let's go with the Resistance Council. What is that? So uh, the Resistance Council is a group created a few days ago, I, I think it was last week. Um, and it's basically a response to uh, the putschists. It's led by a guy uh, called, uh, I forget his name again. <laughs> he, he's a Tuareg. Um, let me just find it. 
believe he was the he was the advisor to uh, President Bazoom. Is that correct? Yeah, he was the former uh, the former uh, uh, advisor to uh, Bazoom. He, his name is Risa Agbula. And um, so he, he, this guy have a very interesting story because he was uh, the former uh, head of uh, Tuareg rebellion in the country uh, back in, uh, I don't know, I think it was in, uh, I don't know exactly the years, but a few years ago, you had a huge uh, rebellion, Tuareg rebellion, and this guy was leading them uh in the country, and the afterward, he took uh, he took place in uh, in the government in Niger. He was minister of state, and uh, after that, he was uh, advisor to uh, President Bazoum. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting that he took place. But we haven't heard uh, much uh, about them lately. Uh, I know they have made another statement, mostly uh, supporting ECOWAS decision to intervene in the country and saying that basically they will uh, provide uh, their uh, help if needed to uh, ECOWAS intervention. And it's this group is kind of unclear because we don't know what exactly they want. I mean, we know what they want. They want to uh, get, get back uh, Bazoum in power, but we don't know how they could do it. We don't know if they have any uh, forces. We don't know even if they are uh, actually in uh, Niger. Maybe I think their um, spokesperson is in. Uh, I understand he is uh, in uh, Belgium actually. But uh, this guy uh, Risa Agbula, which is the head of this council, uh, we don't really know where where he is and uh, even what kind of forces and how he he'd like to act uh, against Bushid because you could have another uh, faction created in this country and you can you could you could maybe see them. Uh, acting and trying to uh, throw away these pushes, but uh, yeah, for now it's kind of kind of shady organization. What I can say is that their uh, head of uh, group is a very experienced guy. Uh, he's not uh, just a random guy. Pick it up. Uh, this guy really know what he he he's doing, and uh, I'm waiting for more of their statement. I think for now they're they're kind of waiting for. Uh, more development on um, the the eco west intervention, like will will it take place or not? Like nobody knows now uh, if they will take place. I mean, earlier today they said they will it will take place. They said they have uh, confirmed that date, but you never know. Maybe it will be solved uh, before that. But yeah, for now we are we just have to wait for more uh, information about them. But it's it's a very interesting development and. Um, maybe we should just uh, keep their presence in mind in the future. Yeah, something to keep an eye on, but it's all up in the air at this point. And then uh, you talk about um, uh, wait, <laughs> I forget what you said. The uh, you said volunteers, the volunteers, yeah, yeah, the volunteers Volunt for the defense of Niger. Exactly, the volunteers of the defense of Niger. So um, the thing is, it reminded me uh, the decision uh, taken in Burkina Faso by uh, their leader. So Burkina Faso have have just quick uh, reminder. Where, Burkina Faso have half of its territory, uh, like 50% under 
almost 50% under terrorist control. So you have a lot of terrorism issue in Burkina Faso. And basically what have made uh, the new leader uh, was to create uh, a group called, uh, a militia actually, called uh, Volunteer for uh, um, uh, the Defense of, uh, of uh, Patria. I think it was the name. So it's, it is kind of the same name as uh, Niger. I think um, the idea is you you call uh, civilians and ask them to en enlist uh, for this um, new militia. Um, uh, maybe it was a, a potential uh, reaction to uh, ECOWAS statement. And it also uh, follows what we said uh, earlier when I, I was saying that the more you wait, the more you're giving time to the Tutsis to organize themselves. And this is precisely what they are doing now. They are trying to uh, enlist a lot of people. I've shared on uh, Twitter uh, one video of uh, of these people. Uh, it was in the stadium in, uh, in Yame. Um, they called a lot of civilians to just come and enlist in their... Um, Militia, but we don't know how many of them signed up, and also we don't know uh, what are the capabilities of, uh, like, uh, how much can the Putschis uh, give them weapons. You know, uh, we don't really know the all these details. Maybe it was just, you know, kind of response to uh, ECOWAS traits, but uh, it can be very interesting to uh, keep an eye on it, because if you start having such militias, you, this conflict can go really, really bad uh, with uh, civilians quickly trained and turning it into militias, especially if you send uh, ECOWAS in the country, you know? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a quick way to have an insurgency on your hands for sure. I think that is pretty much all I have for you, uh, let's go to some saved rounds. If you guys got them, John, you want to go first? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I, I had a, a last question for um, Cassis and also as well, Evan as well. Um, do you think that, I understand that uh, ECOWAS is more so um, an economic partnership compared to the African Union, which kind of is more, you know, security cooperation, economic part, uh, cooperation, and it's kind of like the all-encompassing, right? And I understand that there are ECOWAS nations who are in the African Union. Do you see, um, I understand China um, has kind of, you know, touched on this a bit. Um, I understand that China, you know, they gave warnings to their citizens um, as, as well as some other things. They did also uh, say to quote relevant nations. I think that we all know what they're talking about when they speak about relevant nations. They're talking about France and the United States or just the United States to uh, essentially, you know, keep an eye on what they do in the region um, and uh, limit their involvement, I believe is what they, the words they used. Um, do we see much, um, I know we spoke about United States, we spoke about France, we spoke about Russian involvement. I understand that China, right? Africa is kind of like the, the area where China is seeking to expand their, um, uh, their uh, you know, their, their, their foreign policy, I guess you could call it. Um, uh, you know, we see them uh, building naval bases as well and, and creating these partnerships with our nations. Some may just call it them throwing money at nations, but regardless of what you can call it, right, China is seeking involvement in Africa. How much involvement do we see China um, uh, have in, in or if any, in the Niger uh, conflict? Or are they kind of hands off just like the United States as well as in, in, in other countries as well? So I can kind of give you a little bit on that. Um, for the most part, like you just said, China is very much not necessarily throwing money at them it's 
more like predatory economics, right? So it's, I'll build your ports, I'll build your roads, I'll build your public transport, and in return, I will retain majority control. And I will be able to use it at my discretion for whatever I want. So as far as kinetic conflicts, you're probably going to see China kind of stay out of this. Um, We've covered this on a few other podcasts. China does have some private military uh, groups that, you know, if they did want to get militarily involved with or into this conflict, they could, you know, proxy through similar to how Russia does with Wagner or was doing with Wagner. Um, So, but the thing with those are is that they lack experience and they have been noted as kind of really just not very good for that type of capacity. I mean, they really just serve as uh, as executive protection for executives from China coming in to monitor projects or facilities. Yeah, so um, if I can, some more points on China in Africa or in, in Niger, especially. Uh, they had to uh, stop their activity on, uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was uh, like a bridge or something. And um, basically, China in Africa, from my own experience, is just seeking business and nothing else. They're, they don't really, they don't really take part in any conflicts. They don't really um, try to uh, get involved in all this country. In fact, they don't really like instabilities because it it kind of fucked up their business. Uh, but uh, what they are interested in is mostly. Uh, as you said, um, pr- provide uh, a lot of infrastructure for those countries, and in exchange, they will just try to get uh, raw resources as as more as possible. Uh, they are they have a uh, lots of mines in in African generals. They have lots of uh, access to resources. They are even stealing sometimes uh, some resources. I can tell you about uh, Guinea. Guinea. Uh, I know they are they have some. Uh, Boxits. Uh, I don't know what to say in English. I think it's boxing. It's a good word, but basically they have some resources exploiting there. And basically what they do is taking it, uh, carrying it on a ship, and um, may, um, like they declare on the their paper uh, that they have uh, like let's say 100 uh, kilo of uh, such resources, and in fact they have 200. So basically there are that difference. They are kind of stealing the resources and. Uh, I think there are there are not the only country doing it, but they kind of like it. And um, basically, in this country, they they just make sure their business is going well. And of course, they provide uh, security uh, solutions, but only for their for their mines so far. Uh, as you said, there are some uh, Chinese PMC working in uh, in Africa. Uh, I don't know much about them. I don't think they are they are uh, very uh, significant. I mean. They probably are doing their job uh, pretty well, but I'm not sure of, about uh, their capabilities. Um, what is interesting to say is that in Central Africa, uh, you had Wagner uh, intervening in in uh, um, um, a mine where uh, which was used by uh, the Chinese, and uh, Wagner provided. Um, uh, I mean, they extracted them from uh, the area because it was uh, attacked by uh, rebels in the country. So you can see some 
very, very, very small China Wagner cooperation, but I think it was uh, only uh, the first time ever. And uh, and that's it. Uh, besides that, I think China just planning to uh, take their resources, which is very needed for their industries and uh, nothing more, honestly. And just to complete on Niger, um, I think they, they are uh, pretty much following the events. They haven't ma made any uh, significant statement. I think they have uh, said they will uh, evacuate their people. I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of Chinese in Niger. I don't think so. But um, yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty much what I can say on China. And I think the big thing of why they haven't really made a statement is because China is very opportunistic in the sense is that while well, everybody, while these twos and everything is going on, they uh, they kind of wait until the dust settles and then they'll come in and start to purchase things or develop for the new government or, you know, anything to start getting in there again economically and start retaining ownership over major infrastructure and key points, which, you know, with Niger would be uranium, so. Yeah, and uh, just to maybe conclude on this and add a few more, uh, few more uh, thoughts about it. I think there's uh, far more uh, actors now in Africa than before, especially in uh, French-speaking uh, African countries. Uh, like, for example, you have Turkey, which is uh, slowly getting bigger and bigger in Africa. A lot of people don't really notice it, but Mali, for example, recently had their uh, TB2 uh, drones. Uh, Burkina Faso as well, I think. Togo as well. Uh, even Niger has them, I think, now. So uh, you can see different actors taking the markets, if I can talk about market. They are taking slowly the market in, in, and taking uh, the place of France, basically. I think it's also the goal, and this is why it's sometimes pushed by uh, other countries, like you have uh, not only Russia, of course, which is trying to um, reduce uh, the French influence in Africa, but it's it's there's all it's also backed by other countries like you can say um uh emirates you can say uh turkey you can say of course china you can say many other countries like this and i think this is simply a new uh evolution of um the how to say the um international relation in africa and most and the most interesting part is for african countries that they have now the uh, possibility to talk to different actors and not only talk with their for former colonizer. Um, of course, everyone knows that French was colonizing Niger and Mali and Burkina Faso, etc. And of course, after the independence, they had still very strong ties with those countries, leading to the fact that France was mainly um, the main actor with those countries. Even in the countries, they had a lot of advantages in, the, uh, in their business in Africa and also uh, for African countries in France. So you have you had a lot of uh, partnership like this. And the recent example was uh, that Burkina Faso uh, uh, stopped uh, the tax agreement with France, which which was basically that there were no double taxes on companies, uh, Burkina companies in France and French companies in uh, Burkina Faso. So there is an involvement about all of this. And all these uh, states may have um, more uh, possibilities for the future for them. The thing is, uh, it will it will be slowly. I think, in my opinion, I think it will be slowly.
like in the Cold War, you will have some countries more in favor of uh, Western countries. You will have countries more in favor of uh, China and Russia. And um, maybe we're getting back to this uh, fact and we might see more in the future uh, coup in Africa and maybe supported by uh, a lot of uh, foreign countries in the future. And I think this is the, probably the most interesting part. And maybe just to talk on my French position, um, maybe it's also time for France to reconsider uh, its own politic uh, in France. Uh, I know Niger is, is kind of important for France for, since uh, we're operating some uh, uranium mines in the country. Uh, but what it's kind of, you know, exaggerated by people because there's three mines operated by a uh, French company, Orano, in the country. Only one is working now because the two others have uh, technical problems. So even if you, you could stop now uh, all the exports of uranium to France, it wouldn't be a big problem because France's uh, main provider are Canada and Kazakhstan. So you, you, France will have time to find a, a solution for that. So, um, but still, it's still interesting to to have, of course, uh, a company working in these uh, mines. And the question is uh, how you can evolve as a country, uh, former uh, colonizer in this country, and rethink uh, your relation with all these uh, African countries. And at the same time, not only just deploy your forces in the country and, and let them in their bases, um, trying to find terrorism because terrorism uh, is a, in my opinion, is a much more uh, bigger problem than only um, fighting guys uh, on, on, you know, uh, on uh, motorcycles in the desert. You have to fix this problem in the, the long time. And all this uh, issue it passed through um, the political system in this country. So France cannot just come in the country and try to fix some uh, issues. In Mali, we, we deployed uh, a lot of soldiers in the country, but Mali is big as uh, Eastern Europe. And you, we had like few uh, few thousands of uh, military deployed there. So you can't face such large countries uh, uh, with all their um, uh, terrorism problem with so, uh, so little uh, troops in the country and overall it's not it's not your work in the first place you are you are here to provide security and, and help the country to fight against terrorism but in the end you 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 need to wait until the the country itself try to find a political solution to fix this terrorism issue because in africa often the terrorism comes from minority minority uh, ethnical groups which are uh, simply ignored by um, the central government. And this is mostly how it works in the region. And uh, yeah, I think. Uh... <laughs> okay, good stuff. Expert, you got anything to say, Bronx? No, I don't think I do, honestly. I think that's, uh, we've covered pretty much everything where it stands right now. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, yeah, Cassis, I think we've taken up a, enough of your time it's getting pretty late over there but thank you for being here uh this is really great i know i had a good time i'm sure the other guys did too i would love to have you on again really appreciate your insight into what's going on in the region thank you for uh inviting me uh my uh, microphone just died so i'm sorry if my microphone is bad now uh yeah uh really thank you for uh inviting me uh i really appreciate your work on instagram 
as I, as I told you, I was following you for a while on Instagram. So uh, yeah, keep the good work. And uh, yeah, thank you all for inviting me. I hope I will see you soon. And uh, I will uh, keep following all these events in Niger. Yeah, and actually, before I let you go, real quick, uh, how can people support you? Oh, you can uh, you can just uh, follow my uh, Twitter account, I mean, X account, which is uh, at Kazusbeli with two I in the end. And uh, yeah, it's good. I don't ask for money or anything else. I'm just, uh, since now we're paid by Twitter, uh, <laughs> it's great. But uh, no, seriously, uh, yeah, just you can follow me on Twitter. And uh, if you have any question, you can shoot me a message. You can also follow another group, uh, which I am a member, which is uh, always on Wagner. Uh, they're doing a very insane job, honestly. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't um, know you uh, You contributed to that. Yeah, I contributed. Actually, I'm a member. I work with them, uh, like, daily because uh, I, I do my work, my personal work on uh, Niger, of course. But we are also following all the development of uh, Wagner. And just if you can, if I can put a few words on the group, it's yeah, not really, it's mainly um, a group uh, dedicated to uh, tracing Wagner Pass uh, around the world. We started the project like one year ago, more than one year ago actually, and uh, it it led to uh, sanctions by even the U.S. State Departments against them. We point we pointed them uh, like some uh, some. Uh, Come shady companies in Africa, which was linked to to Wagner, um, and uh, yeah, we have done a pretty much uh, lots of reports. You can read our report on Mali and Burkina Faso. You will see how influence is working there and how it, it was pushed by um, uh, by the Wagner group. And also, uh, yeah, we have made a lots of uh, I think interesting reports. You can just follow their Twitter accounts. I think they deserve it and. I've done a very great job. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, <laughs> for the listener, make sure you can follow uh, uh, Brody's uh, Instagram. He's doing a very good job. I really enjoy reading his uh, post. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, John, XPIN, of course, thank you guys for being here as well. Always value your guys' insight. And gents, I think, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, thanks for having me on yeah. again. And, uh, thanks for Casabelli for uh, coming on with us. Yeah, it was good to be around. Appreciate it. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you guys soon. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to that episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed. Of course, thank you to Cassis, John from the Defense Bulletin, and XPIN for all being here. I appreciate uh, all them engaging in the conversation, asking each other questions. Again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I did have fun doing that podcast personally. Of course, thank you for supporting the podcast as well. It means a lot to me. You can find this on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate or at Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash analyze and educate. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out as well. That's all I have for you guys right now. We'll see you soon.